millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And this week we're talking Buckley's Chance. I saw the latest movie and trailer news. Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And this week, we are discussing the Australian film Buckley's Chance. So, a year after the loss of his father, Ridley and his mother, Gloria, moved from America to Western Australia to live with Ridley's estranged grandfather, Spencer. Once there, tensions reach boiling point and Ridley gets lost in the harsh Australian outback where unique friendships are formed. Now, Buckley's Chance is directed by Tim Brown with the screenplay by Brown and William Wenekes. The movie stars Bill Nye, Victoria Hill, Martin Sachs and Milan Birch, among a couple of others. So, should we start, Tim, by maybe explaining a little bit to our international listeners what Buckley's Chance actually means, right? So, it's interesting. William Buckley was a convict who escaped custody in the early 1800s and ended up living with an Aboriginal tribe. Because his survival in the harsh Australian wilderness was considered very improbable and he was presumed dead by the authorities, the term Buckley's chance means you haven't got a hope in hell, basically, right? Something is yeah. is as good as impossible. Now, I'm just wondering whether, Lee, we need to rebrand our podcast from like the latest movie trailer news and new releases and history lesson. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that was actually quite good. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, you've got Buckley's chance of getting this uh, contract or Buckley's chance of, of getting that girl or whatever. It's yeah. just kind of like this very colloquial Australian term, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. So this film was not the film I expected it to be. Can I say that straight off the bat? Yeah, what do you mean? I don't know what I was thinking going in. I was thinking maybe it was like a real drama, a real heavy drama. Mm. But it felt a bit like a kid's film maybe. Yeah. Not a young kid's film, but maybe like a young adult film do you think yeah uh, but that's a very good opening statement about like 
what you thought you were going in to see and then ultimately what you think you received as a viewer, what the Mm. film was about. And I'll compliment that by saying like a very similar thing in that I was a little bit confused about what the focus of the story or even the tone actually was for this film. Tone is a good good way of putting it, definitely. The tone was really confused. Yeah, it was a bit confused. You did get flavours of like a little bit of, oh, what would you say, slapstick, a bit of humour and comedy, mm. but then there was like family drama thrown in there. Then there was like, you know, unique friendships between a young boy in Ridley and an unsuspecting dingo that he, that he encounters. <laughs> yep. um, so, yeah, there were a lot of layers to it but confusing layers and I think I feel like you agree. Yeah, melodrama is the word that came to mind for me. Yeah. What's interesting is that the writer-director Tim Brown is known for producing a lot of dog escapade films, hmm. titles like Bark Ranger and Step Dogs and Vampire Dog. So just from those titles, you can imagine what those kind of films are like. And when you put that kind of lens on it, if we look at it through the lens of a young adult sort of caper film, does it become a more palatable or decent watch? Oh, I'm not going to say that it was a palatable or decent watch. I don't know. You think that because he's coming from that place as a writer-director that you can kind of come into Buckley's Chance with an idea of the sorts of film that you might expecting is that what you're saying and then it's okay you just go with it (laughs) no I'm saying maybe that was the aim I don't think it was particularly effective either Mm. way whether it hit its aim Mm. or you know what it was trying to be it was as you said quite a confused tone yeah look these are the things that I pulled out I don't know if you can identify any other like subplots or narrative like choices that this film was making you know was it a film about a grieving mum and son about the loss of their husband or dad? Or was it about the estranged grandfather and him connecting back to his dead son and that sort of estranged relationship? Mm. Or was it about the grandfather's fight for his land? Or was it this random dingo Ridley befriends that ultimately becomes this really big moment? Like there were just all these like things coming at you and it was incredibly confused in what stories it was trying to focus on Mm. and then what it ultimately chose to give the... Uh, proper closure to or attention to throughout in terms of story arcs and character arcs so it didn't really find its like niche its heart or its core it just kind of kept dabbling in all these Mm. different billabongs if you will Uh, but you (laughs) never uh, quenched your thirst in any of them Mm. it's like it was reaching for a red dog Mm. but not quite getting there you know what I mean yeah, I have a confession to make, which is very un-Australian of me. Don't tell me you haven't seen Red Dog. Oh, I've my nev- God. I've never seen Red Tim, Dog. <laughs> Tim, it stars Josh Lucas. Oh, we love a bit of Josh Lucas. Get on to it. I know, I know. And they've made a sequel. They've made a sequel to Red Dog and I still haven't seen the first one. It's been that long. Can we talk about Bill Nye as a character? Mm. He's playing the grandfather, yes. Spencer. Very reserved, very um, standoffish, I guess you would say. Yeah, I mean, one of the first lines that he says when we're first introduced to him is, take the bags, you galah. <laughs> uh, and I thought, oh gosh, we're in for a ride here. Can we talk about Bill Nye's <laughs> accent? Because he's doing an Australian accent. And I actually thought mm. it was quite good. Yeah, I mean, Bill Nye is a rough and tumble outback sheep farming Aussie was odd to begin with. But I agree, his Aussie accent was all right. Yeah, I, I give him kudos for that. I've seen a fair bit of criticism of it though. Right. And I think that's got more to do with the script and the delivery mm. than it does with the accent itself. I mean, coming from a British accent to an Australian accent is a lot easier than going from an American accent to Australian accent. So I, you know, 
It'd be surprising if he didn't pull it off. It was a little bit jarring because you know who Bill Nye is, mm. right? He's a very distinguishable character actor. I think you could call him that. Yeah. And he's got very unique mannerisms and an accent to, to boot. And so when you put him into this this sort of role where he's an outback sheep farmer, he seemed quite reserved and I felt like he was quite unconnected to the character, you mm. know, popping up here and there and he was just kind of like coasting along. He didn't have a great deal of energy to him. No. But you pointed out like with the script and the dialogue, I just think he didn't really have a great deal to work with, did he? No, but he is carrying the film, isn't he? I mean, he certainly delivers mm. an emotional punch, especially near the end. But is it too little, too late? Too little, too late. I, I'm going to say it. Yeah, mm. it was It was really nice because it almost was like, okay, his hat's off and you can see his face and you can feel what he's feeling as a character for the first time, but it's literally in the last five minutes of the film. Mm. And I thought, heck, why did we have to endure all of that to get to that beautiful moment of, of performance? Yeah. And it was just, yeah, a little bit lost on the viewer, I think. Can we talk about the bad guys in this for a second, played by Ben Wood and <laughs> Anthony Gooley? They just weren't that bad, were they? For villains, they were just inept. We started moving into, you know, it reminded me of Home Alone territory where they couldn't quite, <laughs> they kept bungling trying to catch this kid. Mm. And I thought, is that another point where it starts to veer into kids' film territory? Yeah, I guess that's where the tone kind of started to get a little bit confused and lost to me. Not that it, it was already getting confused or lost mm. up until that point, but there was this moment where there was, you know, this encounter with uh, some of these townsfolk and they were trying to convince Spencer, who Bill Nye plays, to like sell off a part of his land, which can I just say I don't re- remember or recall understanding why he yeah. had to sell it off, what the reason was. <laughs> it was just assumed. But then these foreboding characters were foreboding for but a moment. And then all of a sudden, like you said, they became inept. These thug brothers became bumbling idiots and were the constant awkward comic relief that seemed to just not really fit into Mm. the weird puzzle of a film. And I think we actually could have completely lost the mother character and it wouldn't have made a difference to the film. You know, they could have just shipped the kid off to grandpa because both parents died or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like she was barely concerned or necessary. Are you saying that you hoped that both parents had died in Ridley's life? Don't put words (laughs) in my mouth. That's not what I'm saying. Kill the mother. Kill the mother. No. No. Oh, goodness. (laughs) No. Victoria Hill was lovely. She just didn't have enough to do. All she seemed to do that I st- that sticks with me now is that she kept lunging into Spencer's arms after getting overly emotional about something, and it just happened more than once. And I thought, like, what's why? Yeah, what is she doing there? She's just kind of being this hysterical mother, which I thought was just one poorly written and two unnecessary. And I thought it was a, a miscarriage of justice for her as an actress to have to do that. I don't even know if we were watching the same film, hey, because I don't remember any of those kind of scenes. I remember her being very understated and thinking, um, your son's lost in the Australian outback. Could you turn it up a notch? Yeah, no, she was by the car and she hit the side the side of the oh, ute okay. and was like, oh, we're never going to find him and lunch into his arms. And then later on she was like, oh, Ridley, and then lunch into Bill okay. Nye's arms. And I thought, oh, heck, okay. spare me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the music for a second? Because I think this was mm. 
the biggest thing for me that didn't gel. When I first watched it, something was feeling off, as I said at the beginning. It didn't yeah. – something wasn't quite mm. right until I realised that it was largely because of the music. Yeah. That's when I started to realise that it's maybe skewed at a younger audience. Yeah, I was very put on the back foot in one of the opening scenes where they first arrive onto Buckley's Chance, which is the name mm. of the of the property that Spencer owns to explain and it was this really upbeat song it just didn't fit with not only the landscape and the shots but also the context of why they were there Mm. and then I also felt like the score was incredibly confusing as well Lee it really really displaced me because it almost felt like an adventure film a la Indiana Jones based on the choices of the film score Mm. like kept leaning into Uh, this sort of like big adventure sweeping Indiana Jones type score that didn't match with the narrative. It was odd. But then you also got that scene where a goat almost knocked him over or some kind of animal. I can't remember what it was. I think it was a goat. And it was just that really comical slapstick score. Mm. And that plays into the term that you uh, mentioned at the top of the episode around it was very melodramatic. It was full of melodrama. Yeah. So it kind of just kept leaning into these kind of cheap shots And the music was something that really kind of made it really, really obvious as a viewer that it didn't really know what sort of movie it was making because the the musical choices, the tone of which just didn't match what we were watching. But then they went to places that just didn't make sense. One thing that's you know, you can always rely on an Australian movie, whether it's good or bad or whatever, is the Australian landscape. You can always Mm. count on it to be spectacular cinematography, right? And it almost was. But something about it felt like they were on a soundstage in some scenes. Did you see the way it was shot? If you're in Australia and you're filming in Australia and you've got Mm. all this landscape at your disposal, which they obviously used, but somehow shot it in a way that it felt like they were filming a Western on a soundstage. You know, you've got these tufts yeah. of grass and it just didn't look real. And there's something about the way it was shot because I, I'm sure they weren't on a soundstage. Like I'm sure they were on location. Yeah, I think there were issues with the choice in lighting, which obviously makes or breaks a space. And I'm just going to like follow up with your comment about how you felt like it just, they didn't use the space or the potential mm. of the Australian landscape that we have at our disposal, you know. I think we've been absolutely spoilt for choice with Australian cinema over the last 12 months, right? And, Mm. you know, the landscape in those films has always played a pivotal role in the narrative of those movies. And this one just didn't deliver anything particularly memorable. And the fact that you and I as Australians can, like, point that out and say, you know, we Mm. just watched an Australian film and it didn't feel... It didn't feel special. It didn't feel like they used the, the land in the right way, which is really... Really frustrating. Just on that point, I definitely got the sense that this is an international production. It was quite obvious to me that this was made by people from outside of Australia and it's a Canadian Mm. and Australian co-production because the dangers of the outback and the gravity of the situation that Ridley was in just wasn't conveyed effectively. No. And the fact that the dingo acted and looked like a pet dog didn't gel but I mean for a family film that would work though yeah it would work but again this mismatched kind of tone uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up with your mm. point about that you think this is an international uh, project mm. because one of the lines that Gloria says to Ridley the mother says to her son when they first land in Western Australia is hey kangaroo oh made you look 
And I'm like, oh, oh my God. Okay, no, no one would talk like that. But then you know what also that followed that awful piece of dialogue mm. was that they actually cut to a kangaroo. Yes, I saw that too. And I was like, it is a kangaroo. <laughs> so was it there or wasn't it there? Did Ridley see it? Didn't Ridley see it? And I thought, whoever edited this film, did they know that that piece of dialogue happened just before they cut to a kangaroo? <laughs> because it just didn't make sense. It was just a mismatched yeah. jumble. I think when it comes to like the dangers of Australia or how dangerous Australia can be, it's not like just naturally. Mm. (laughs) We just don't live in danger every day. Although we do. We kind of do. We do. We do. I mean, you saw it in the cinematography, but you didn't feel it Mm. in the story. There was no sense of urgency to it. And I'm going to add to that whole sense of urgency positionally with two words. Mm. And I know you know what's coming. Spatial awareness. (laughs) It's my favourite thing to talk about in cinema. There was no spatial awareness because you didn't know it was set in Western Australia. (laughs) I did not know it was set in Western Australia, which, for you listening, is the biggest state in our glorious nation. It is enormous. It's like probably half the size of our country is Mm. one state, (laughs) Western Australia. But my goodness, I was so lost where anyone was or how far away things were and all that sort of jazz. Like, no wonder they couldn't bloody find Ridley for so long because, <laughs> no, like, it was, I don't even know whether they knew that he knew that they knew where he was. Like, clearly, it was just, they probably literally lost him in the production and couldn't find him to film anything. <laughs> oh, I mean, and also just to, to build mm-hmm. upon that, why didn't Ridley stick to the goddamn road when he was trying to get home? You know, there was this big grandiose sequence of him climbing a big mountain with a big sweeping like drone helicopter shot of him at the top. And I'm like, what the fuck is this kid doing up there? I thought, how did he get up the top of that mountain? He could see the road. He was hiding from the road, from the thugs. <laughs> it's like, why didn't he just go back down there? That would have <laughs> that would have headed him to town. Tim, let, let me answer that with this question, with another question. Okay. Why did he hide in the bad guy's truck? When there were multiple buildings and his grandpa's house right there, why did he climb into the bad guy's truck? Because, Lee, if he didn't, the movie would have been about 40 minutes. (laughs) Well, it was only 90 (laughs) minutes anyway, 95 minutes, something like that. It's a very good question. Look, maybe you could put it down to the fact that he was just a dumb kid. But also, this is another thing that didn't make sense about the character development in this story, is that apparently... Him and his father used to go camping all the time. And so you would assume that he had a little bit of oh, life yeah. skill. He knew what he was doing out there. And I tell you what, this kid was dermis Burke. <laughs> he didn't know what was going on. I mean, he was sparking in the bloody outback, a dry, arid landscape and set a fire. You know, like I just thought this kid just has no idea. I just didn't believe anything for a second. Shall we wrap up Buckley's chance? I think I know how this is going to sound. There is Buckley's chance anyone is going to think that this was a good film. A run-of-the-mill premise, check. Appalling dialogue, check. Underdeveloped characters, let's check that too. And a story that had no (laughs) single focus and left you wondering what the actual point of it was, check. Given the recent calibre of Aussie films, it is a shame that this one slipped through the cracks and and didn't deliver. I'm going to rate Buckley's chance one and a half popcorn kernels. Well, it's billed as a family film, but Buckley's Chance feels like a hallmark movie of the week that's crafted to appeal to an international audience with some kind of cliched impression of what life in Australia is really like. 
It's an easy watch, but it's also easily forgettable, and it misses the mark on the important emotional beats and plot points. It would almost work better, I think, if the dog talked, <laughs> and I half expected it to. Oh my god! So then the direction would feel maybe a bit more natural. So I'm going to give Buckley's Chance two popcorn kernels. There's there's an audience for this, but it's not Aussies. I agree, and I'm looking forward to the Doctor Doolittle cut of Buckley's Chance in cinemas very soon. <laughs> However, the version that has been produced is in Australian cinemas right now. All right, Tim, let's move on to the news. Director Andy Muschietti has been sharing some costume glimpses from the Flash movie, which is the upcoming next instalment in the DCEU, isn't it? Is that the next one that's coming out? Oh, I don't think it's the next one. Actually, it could be. There's like Shazam in there and mm. I think there's another... One or two. Oh, there's the Suicide Squad. Oh, of course. Can't forget the Suicide yes, Squad. Yes, which we'll talk about later because we have a new trailer that's dropped, which we will discuss. But, yeah, so many really fun mm. images. Tell us, like, what has he shared, Lee? What has the director shared of late? He has shared Batman, The Flash, and Supergirl, which is interesting. Yes. Very, very interesting. I'm really excited to see Supergirl in her first feature since the 80s. I loved that movie in the 80s. Have you seen that one? I haven't. Oh, Tim. Jeez. I'm getting in trouble a lot this episode for films that I haven't seen. You shouldn't admit to these things. I know. I can't lie to you, Lee. Can't lie to you. Yeah, so, I mean, that's making me a little bit more excited for this film. I'm I'm not super fussed about this one, but I'm, I'm getting there. We also got a first trailer for Joe Bell starring Mark Wahlberg, and it follows the true story of a small town working class father who embarks on a solo walk across the US to crusade against bullying after his son is tormented in high school for being gay. Now, oh, this trailer got me so emotional. Yeah, me too. Yeah? It looks like it's going to be really good. It seems to be quite a unique role for someone like Mark Wahlberg to take, but I'm really here for him to kind of, you know, launch himself into a story, uh, such an important one as this, and it seems like it's going to be quite a heavy hitter in the drama yep. department and get the Kleenex out sort of thing, Yeah, I reckon. We also got a trailer for Nicolas Cage's next film, which is called Pig. Take us through this one. Yeah, so uh, Cage plays a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon wilderness and must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. Now, that description sounds so silly, but when I watched the trailer, it actually looks really emotional. He kind of looks like if Jesus didn't die at 33 and he lived <laughs> on till his like late 50s, early 60s, okay. I'll get Jesus vibes from his aesthetic. However, that's just comedy aside, I really felt as well, Lee, this really dark, brooding, incredibly mm. complex drama. I'm, I'm hooked. Yeah. I can't wait to see this movie. I just... I think, wow. I think this is going to be a really great role for Nick Cage. He's so interesting in the roles that he takes on. I love the choices that he mm. makes and I think this one's going to be no different. Yeah, recently he's taken on, for whatever reason, a whole lot of those, you know, midday movie or Hallmark sort of titles and it's good to see. Oh, actually, yeah, I forgot about those. Let me just take that statement back. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Control-Alt-Delete that from his filmography. But he is an incredibly complex actor mm. It doesn't surprise me that he wants to tackle a project like this. It's very interesting. I'm glad he's going back into that dark space because he's so good in it. So Aquaman 2, Tim, has officially got its title. It's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Now, James Wan did share this news a little while ago, but it's kind of 
flown under the radar, surprisingly. There's still no plot details, though, is there? No, still no plot details. And yes, it, it's flown under the Popcorn Podcast radar mm. and seemingly everywhere in the cultural zeitgeist. But, Lee, question for you. Does The Lost Kingdom refer to Atlantis? I don't know, but I need to know. Because I can't recall. Obviously, I've seen Aquaman and, you know, all the DCU movies, but didn't we go to Atlantis in one of those mm-hmm. films or was that just an assumption I have in my mind? No, no, we did. Yeah, we saw it underneath, but maybe it's destroyed or maybe, I don't know. I don't know. My mind can't comprehend. <laughs> well, let's just wait to see what James Wan and co have in store then, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Rachel Ziegler has been cast as Snow White in Disney's live-action remake. I forgot this was happening, actually. She's going to soon be seen in Spielberg's West Side Story and the upcoming DCEU film Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Busy, busy lady Ziegler. Busy indeed, and she's like this new up-and-comer and pretty excited about her casting in Snow White. Obviously, Snow White was the first full-length animated feature that Walt Disney made Mm. back in, I think it was 1939. So, of course, the writing was on the wall that they were going to lean into an action, live-action remake of Snow White. I am nervous. I feel like we always go into these projects feeling nervous. How do you feel about this? Yeah, definitely. It's such an iconic character. They really want to get this one right. Mm. I'm so excited about this news, Tim. Let me tell you, production has officially begun on the... Yes, I love a Transformers movie. Okay. Yeah. Guilty pleasure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So production has officially begun on the new Transformers movie with the official title called Rise of the Beasts. And this is the seventh installment in the Paramount Pictures franchise. And it's going to be set in 90s Brooklyn, New York and Machu Picchu in Peru. Interesting. Very different sort of locations. So mm. I'm keen to understand how they like coexist. So this one will introduce the Maximals, Predacons and Terracons, Transformers, which transform into prehistoric animals and other beasts who have travelled through time and space, no less. Yeah. The film stars Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback and is expected in cinemas next year, 2022, so not too far away. Bring it on. We also got a new trailer this week for The Suicide Squad. They're coming hard and fast with these because mm. it's going to be out on August 5. Uh, we've had one or two other trailers, but finally, I don't know how you felt, but I felt like this film actually has something going for it based on this trailer. Can I be honest? I keep bouncing back and forward. I keep going, oh, no, I'm not Mm. sure. And then going, oh, yeah, it looks really cool. And then I'm just, I'm not sold on the cast of thousands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think most of them are going to lose their lives in the first third of the movie probably to thin things out, but uh, we'll see. All right, Lee, as we say, hmm, that was a jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast where we reviewed the Australian film Buckley's Chance, which is in Australian cinemas right now. And Tim, that was actually the last episode for season five of Popcorn Podcast. Are you serious? Yep. Season five, done and dusted. It is, done and dusted. Well, guys, don't fret because just around the corner, season six will be here. So, Oh, yes, we're back for another season. You can't get rid of us. We are very excited and we won't tell you which film we're going to kick things off with season six, but I tell you what, it's a big one. Oh, it's a good one. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. Okay. Catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.